Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret and this is the fourth and final episode of our deep dive into kids who are a little outside the fat part of the bell curve, as we like to say. And I feel like this series, it's been interesting for me because I've actually been re-listening to all of these episodes as we post them. And I was just talking to somebody yesterday who said, oh, I was just listening to the episode about uh, when parenting advice doesn't fit and that's so my kid and on the Facebook group where you can always find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hellcast. We've been getting a ton of feedback about these episodes, and it's interesting how many people say, this is me, this is my kid, and it does make me think maybe what we think of as the fat part of the bell curve may not actually be so fat after all, that we all have kids who in their own ways are a little bit outside of what we think of as the absolute true north norm. This episode was really interesting for me. I feel like highly sensitive kids is sometimes a topic, and we talk about this on this episode, where it can feel a little bit tweet-tweet to someone, like, I'm a highly sensitive person, I have a highly sensitive kid, and that sometimes our reaction is like, yeah, um, I think that's everyone. But in terms of really breaking it down on this episode about the idea of highly sensitive kids and sensory seekers, and so the idea that highly sensitive kids are have a hard time with sensory inputs, right? And we all know kids who you've got to cut the tag out of their clothes and they're maybe very limited on the kind of textures or foods they can eat. And that there is also on that spectrum, which is literally a spectrum, another side where we can have kids who are sensory seekers. And I think this may be something that we don't hear and think as much about. And the bottom line is that understanding sensory tendencies in kids just can help us parent kids more effectively, which I think is pretty much what we're after. And so lots of things that hyper and hypo sensitive kids 
may need, which could involve all sorts of outside interventions, things like occupational therapy, things like feeding therapies. It may even involve medication for some kids. That's not really what we're here to talk about because we're not doctors and we're not therapists. But I think having a conversation about how your kid interacts with the world in terms of their senses can be extremely useful in terms of peaceful parenting, which is, I think, at the end of the day, what we're all after. So, enjoy this episode. I hope you've enjoyed revisiting these episodes as much as I have. And thanks so much for listening. You're all maniacs and I can't deal. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I'm an easy crier. (laughs) With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Like I look whack. Why? A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Time for some must tries. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today, we're talking about sensitive kids. So sensitive. So much living in my house. And sometimes hypo-sensitive kids, which means under-sensitive, sensory-seeking. We're going to talk about all these kinds of kids today. Hypo-sensitive. I like it. It's a new term for me. And, you know, this can be sort of, I don't know, pathologized and made into something else that moms need to worry about and find an occupational therapist when they're 18 months old. And, like, sometimes you get there and sometimes you don't. But I think this is a fascinating thing. It's a framework to understand your kid's behavior, I think, that's been very helpful to me. Agree. It's also the kind of thing I feel like people hear a phrase, I will use the example PTSD, and they are like, oh, I have PTSD from that time I missed the bus. And it's like, okay, that's not exactly what we're talking about. That's not exactly (laughs) what that is. But it becomes a sort of a catch-all for an experience of which there is a gigantic spectrum. I mean, that's true in so many things. There's something called sensory processing disorder. And there are, I was reading as I was doing research for this episode. SPD. There is some disagreement about whether it should even be called that. That it's not a disorder. That it's not a thing unto itself that gets its own page in the textbook. But what there isn't disagreement about is that there are some kids who are highly sensitive and there are some kids kids who are under-responsive and under-sensitive. And I think what you and I would agree with as parents of multiple children is that you can have a kid like this and it is clear as day once it's pointed out to you. And it helps you, like things make sense that you never understood before, their behavior and when they freak out and when they underreact, just like the skills fall from your eyes. And you're like, that's what it was about this whole time. Right. Which is why I'm excited to talk about it. There's also another fork in the road that is... Sensitive emotional kids and sensitive sensory kids. So we have kids who like can't stand the tags, the sun, like that sensorily sensitive kids. Yeah. And then also people think of sensitive kids as like that cut me deep Shrek, like people, you know, kids who feel things very deeply. I would argue they're often the same. Connected. That the kid who like doesn't like, you know, loud noises is also the kid who, you know, cries more easily at Frozen 2 than other kids. Interesting. All right, let's explore that. I'm not sold yet, but I'm willing to listen to your research. Okay. All right. So childmind.org says, 
that sensory issues, they can be found in kids in the autism spectrum. But again, that's not necessarily what we're talking about because sensory issues can also be found in kids with no other diagnosis, can be found in kids with ADD, can be found in premature babies, can be found in all kinds of kids. And the reason I want to talk about them, again, quoting child mind, is that these problems can be tough on our kids and they can get in the way of them functioning effectively. And there are things you can do about it that can make it almost immediately easier on your kid and understanding it is the first step. Got it. All right. So do we understand what a sensitive kid is? So there was actually a discussion in our Facebook group about this. And Amanda Lynn, who's one of our listeners, she put up this graphic in our Facebook group that's from somebody called Miracle Maker Mom. So I'll put the link in the show notes because it's a fantastic graphic, but you and I are looking at it right now. And let's see, your kid might be sensitive, sensory sensitive, this graphic is calling it, highly sensitive if they're scared of trampolines, monkey bars, or swinging high. I had a baby who immediately, I was like, wow, this kid hates the swings. What's with this? And that was my first signal. Mm. Can be a picky eater. Also a picky eater. Yep. Sensitive to bright lights, like even as a baby, like, you know, squints and turns away. Check. Doesn't like loud noise. This same baby of mine who hated the swings. I'll just admit, okay, it's my third kid, because she was my third baby. I took her to a Halloween parade when she was 12 days old, because it was like third baby, like whatever, like come on along, kid. And there was a bagpiper at the Halloween parade. Oh, This like 12 day old baby, I realize this is insane on several levels, but you know, she was a third baby. She went with the flow, except with, you know, weird, loud noises. I mean, the bagpipe wasn't right next to her. It was on the other side of the parade, but she screamed and screamed and screamed until I, I took her home. 12 day old baby. And yes, that was another early sign that I had a kid who was highly sensitive. Interesting. Sensory sensitive kids. We're talking about sensitive to smells. Take out tags in the clothes. That sounds familiar. Yep. Only soft pants was often said in my house by one of my children. Yes. I feel the same. Yeah. I'm on the only soft pants kick myself. Who wants a button? I agreed. Soft pants. No tags. Doesn't like being tickled. Doesn't like being barefoot. Hello. That's me. (laughs) Really cautious, cautious with steps and walking. You know, so highly sensitive kids, what's interesting about them is that they can skew two ways. They can be either sort of fearful, cautious, right? Like I'm cautious every step I take. I don't really like this. I don't really want to go on the swing. I want to stay close to mom and not go on the ride, whatever. And you can also have kids who all of this stuff might make oppositional and defiant, Describe that a little bit more for me. Like, I'm thinking of an anxious kid that I knew. Again, Halloween. Not same kid, not same Halloween. I was with another family, and we were walking around their neighborhood, and there was a haunted house. Like a garage haunted house. Like a couple of teenagers put it together, and and they were going to like wear garbage bags and jump out at you. Like it was that level of haunted house. Love it. Now, if you're a five or six-year-old, that's pretty awesome, right? Scary, awesome, exciting. Amazing. I'd say four out of the five kids that we were traveling with were pretty excited about that. Two of the kids, including one of mine, were like, oh, there's a haunted house. Can we cross the street and walk on the other side of the street from the haunted house? That was me. Yep. I'm like, okay, we can do that. And there was one kid in the group who could not even walk past 
the teenage garage haunted house on the other side of the street who threw a complete tantrum and her parents who I didn't know that well were like what is wrong with you and they ended up getting in a big fight like on the sidewalk about this because she was making a scene over nothing and you're just going to walk by across the street and like what are you doing and this kid was being majorly oppositional and defiant Mm. but I could see clearly like this kid is really that scared. She is that scared. She's going to have to go home. I see. So you're saying like it can manifest in crying or it can manifest in like anger and tantrums. Right. The reaction to this sensitive feeling. Yeah. And that's why it's so important because these parents are like, what is wrong with you? You're ruining Halloween, right? And this kid was like, I'm having a panic attack as I cannot take one step past the spooky high school haunted house. Well, you have often pointed out, and I think it's one of the best pieces of parenting advice you've given me while we've been on the podcast, is like, lean into the question, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, because it's not what's wrong with you. It's like, hey, what's wrong with you? What's bothering you? What's underneath this? Because... That's right. We sometimes in the crush, especially like I had three kids under four and you're just like wall of noise. You're all maniacs and I can't deal. But being able to take that step back and saying like, this kid is clearly reacting to something. What is it? Is a great skill to have for all parents, but maybe especially parents of sensitive kids. Yes. So if you have a kid who's like freaking out in the cafeteria and you're getting a call from the school that they are really acting up every day, but only at lunchtime, but only in the cafeteria. Yeah. You know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with them is the LED lights or the noise or both, right? Or bully that's sitting next to them. There's a reason. And if you get curious about it, you might be able to address the behavior with a lot more compassion and patience to start, right? And then also more effectively. Well, I'll give you an example. I have a kid who is sensory sensitive, always has been, you know, the tags in the shirt kind of stuff, all the sensitivities, picky eating, all that stuff. And then as he has grown, he has developed migraines and they almost always start with him being in too much light and sunshine, that that is the trigger for migraines. We get so much more in the summer. I'm very kind of aware of like when he's outside, he needs to be in a hat and glasses. And when it's a migraine, I have a lot of sympathy for him. It's like you have a migraine. That is a symptom. That is a problem that needs loving mother to solve. But when I only understood it as like, oh, your high maintenance thing with the lights is annoying. I was much less compassionate about it. Mm-hmm. And that's been like a really good learning for me of like, it shouldn't have to be a migraine before I take it seriously and kind of have a little bit of respect for it. Let me tell you, as somebody who has the high maintenance thing with the lights, you know, I get the eye rolls from everybody in my family, except the other person in my family who has the similar light sensitivity, because it's hard to understand it from the outside. Like, it's fine. I'm looking at it, and it's fine. It's not a problem. It's just a tag. Right. The other person is experiencing it very differently. When I have to look at, like, at night, if I'm driving at night, and I have those, like, particular kind of xenon headlights that come right at you, the really bright ones, it really kind of blinds me, but it almost, it causes a feeling of anxiety in me that it's hard to explain. I think it's might be, if that happens again, I won't be able to see it all. That must be what I'm scared about, but it's not, mm. you know, it's not even rational, but it's something that happens to me. And so, yeah, so I'll put on like sunglasses in the passenger seat while somebody else is driving at night. And yeah, I'm looked at like, I'm like pulling a Nanny Sullivan and being all like dramatic. But <laughs> oh, She's got her thing with the lights. Aye, aye, aye. But, but it's true. It's true that like, I'll give you another metaphor that I think is very apt. Back in the day, I was a marathon runner. I ran a bunch of marathons. And one of the things you learn very quickly 
when you run distance is that any irritant has to be dealt with early on. Because if you have a earring that is, you know, scraping your chin, like if you have a dangling earring that's scraping your chin, you'll have like an inch deep cut by the end of the race. Like you can't have anything on you that irritates you even a little bit because after 26 miles, you're going to have a wound from that irritant. So like if you're starting to get a blister a mile in, you got to fix it because if you don't, you're going to have a hole in your foot by the time you finish the race. And, you know, you find the right bra because everything kind of, you know, it's a tiny irritant, but 26 miles later, you've got a huge cut. And so I think that there's, it's another good way to think about these sensitive things with our kids. Like, I definitely have that instinct. I was raised by like tough Irish Catholic parents. And it's like, it's just light, Amy, relax. It's just a tag, calm down. Like, it's just a hug. Don't be so uptight about it. But that we actually, and I understand the other side of this is like, there's this whole like anti-tickling thing that like, you know, tickling doesn't involve consent and we shouldn't be tickling kids. And I get that people kind of eye roll at it. Like, really? We're attacking tickling now? Like, what else is left to us if we cannot tickle? I mean, first of all, chill out <laughs> with your tickling. It's not that important. But like, what do you need to tickle people right. so badly about? My God. Can you relax with the tickling? It was never that fun. Let's be honest. Does anybody love it? But I kind of get that people are a little tweet tweet about this stuff, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now we can't even tickle a kid because blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't hurt if it's causing you a problem to investigate what is underneath that. Yeah. So to sum it up, Dr. Elaine Aaron, if you don't know about her and this sounds like you or this sounds like one of your kids, she writes all about highly sensitive people. We should try to get her on the show. And she has literally written the book, several books on highly sensitive people. So she says, just to sum it up, highly sensitive people process information more thoroughly. They are more easily stimulated that, you know, wrong sports bra in the marathon is going to bother them half a mile in instead of six miles in, right? They're more aware of subtle stimuli, are more empathic, and she says high and have higher emotional reactivity. So she does sort of draw a line between the, this tag is bothering me and this kid is being mean to me, being, you know, more prone to emotional reactivity as well. It makes sense to me. I mean, it tracks in my personal experience. I'm an easy crier. <laughs> yeah. I think it does. I mean, I think that sensitive is such a broad word, but we're talking about today, I'm realizing something much more specific than like, I have a kid who's sensitive, who, you know, I just can't stop thinking about that puppy I saw on TV (laughs) with the missing leg. Like, that's really not quite what we're thinking about. And she's just like, she's also kind of a girl. And I don't know, that's part of it somehow, too. But anyway, she's sensitive emotionally. Maybe she has a high emotional intelligence or whatever else that thing is. Mm -hmm. But this is like a whole constellation of things that goes on with certain kids. And it's much more clear to me which of my kids is sensory sensitive. And it's not necessarily the most emotional one. When we come back, I want to talk about sensory seeking kids, which is the complete other side of the coin. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back, Amy. Tell me about sensory seeking kids. Okay, so sensory seeking kids. I'm going back to Miracle Maker Mom here, and I have a bunch of childmind.org stuff too. Well, I'll start with the childmind.org sort of oversight. Hyposensitive kids are undersensitive, which makes them want to seek out more sensory stimulation. Child Mind says that these kids, they might have a constant need to touch people or textures. Yes. Even when it's not socially acceptable, it's not a good time or place to do so, or 
kindergarten circle. Maybe, you know, William doesn't want his sleeve rubbed during story time. This is the kid who gets to keep your hands to yourself. Mm-hmm. Admonition many, many times. Have a hard time with the personal space thing, maybe when other kids are old enough to not be touching each other. Love jumping, bumping, crashing. Yes. Love fast, spinny, you know, like the rides at the amusement park that you wouldn't think they'd like. Yes. Love being thrown in the air. Love jumping on the couch. May have, you know, more ants in their pants than other kids. Be fidgety. Here's one that resonated with me. Have an extremely high tolerance for pain. Yes. I have a story about this, which is why I have a kid that is hyposensitive. And I will say this stuff is all much more obvious and prevalent when they're three than when they're big, because when they're big, first of all, I think some of it resolves. And then also some of it, they can take care of for themselves, right? Like if I like, I can have a fidget spinner under the desk. They can manage themselves. They can put their sunglasses on in the car. Yeah, exactly. But my kid who is hyposensitive had pneumonia when this child was a baby And I kept taking this baby into the doctor two or three times to see different nurse practitioners in the practice and things. And this baby wasn't acting sick. Like this baby was smiling and sitting in my lap and not being fussy. And so they were like, "Mm, I don't know, like, you know, this baby seems fine. And then it was like the fifth or sixth time I went back, like I'm noticing pulling, I'm noticing a little difficulty breathing, and the baby had pneumonia. And the doctor, actually, I remember that she said to me, I'm going to put in this baby's chart right now, does not display pain, you know, typically. That And I have learned that ever since then, that this kid, oh, I don't know, this kid gets bumps and scrapes and stuff and doesn't takes a licking and keeps on ticking. There's an old deluxe alert for you. Back in my day. <laughs> no kidding. Old deluxe. Doesn't even seem to notice. Yeah, yeah. So that's hyposensitive. Do you have any um, things that come to mind for you for kids like this? Well, I am super. I mean, this is the thing, too. I think that there is a sensory. There's no bright line between being sensory seeking and sensory sensitive. That's true. I guess you're right. It's a big constellation of stuff. It's arbitrary. Uh huh. I have a kid who has a very high pain threshold and is extremely sensitive to the texture of foods. <laughs> and he gets it directly from me. I am exactly this way. I am sensory seeking. So my favorite kind of exercise, I love like being in a club with like pumping music going and a million bodies and slamming. The mosh pit was made for me. Like I love a mosh pit, super loud music and just slamming bodies into each other. I just find that to be like the greatest human experience. Yeah, no, thank you. A super loud like spin class, you know, where the music is going and you're pushing your body to the like that is my sensory happy place. But I am, I believe we've already discussed on the podcast, my feelings about surprise crunch. <laughs> that like if I eat a chicken salad with celery in it, my month is ruined. Like if I hit a piece of crunch in soft food, I'm just like, I can't go on. It's the worst sensation to me. Like I would confess to crimes if you made me eat chicken salad with celery in it. That's so funny because, yeah, the hyposensitive, this graphic that I'm looking at says that they love crunchy foods. They chew on things, you know, pen tops and gum and whatever. My hyposensitive person was also always my adventurous eater. Mm. Like three-year-old, I'll try escargot, no problem. Like trying new things, even like... Mom, smell this. It's disgusting. My, my one kid who does this yes. is my sensory seeker, right? Like, this is awful. Let me touch it. It's really funny because 
I have a friend from college. I mean, it's just interesting to think about like that people are made with very specific set points and how that works. And thinking about that is interesting to me. And I have a friend who is a doctor and who specializes in like really grody infectious diseases. That is not how she would describe her own career. That is how I am describing it. <laughs> That's on her index card. I mean, her business cards, really grody infectious diseases. Yeah. She's like, I'm into really grody infectious diseases. But I was like, I just don't understand. Like, it's so gross what you have to deal with. And she was like, I was always the kid that like, if there was a raccoon killed in the road, I was like running out to like, look at it and see what was going on. Like she has the opposite of this. Like, she's like very fascinated by gross things, you know? I never... Which maybe is that's hyposensitive. Like... Yeah, I'm throwing that on the pile too. My same hyposensitive kid is known for being the person who, on more than one occasion, has been willing to dive into the neighbor's pool to get the field mouse or the bird or whatever that's at the bottom of the pool. This kid has no problem, like with the plastic bag, but still, I don't know what we would have to pay me to do that, but I don't think no. that number exists. It's not a real number. Yeah. A billion dollars, maybe? I don't know. A quadrillion dollars? Who knows? This kid is like 90 seconds, 10 bucks. Like, who wouldn't do that? Like, nobody would do that. And so, I guess there are many, many, I mean, good thing these people exist, right? There are EMTs and, and surgeons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not afraid. You have to have, that's the thing. What I, my overall point is that these qualities, I think that we waste a lot of time as parents. And as I look back on my parenting journey, as I hit, you know, this stage of it, I think I look back at stuff and I wish I had just been like hardwired variable kind of a little bit more. And I think what's interesting about looking at a chart like this that says like could bounce on a trampoline all day, likes to smell things. You start to realize like, oh, this goes all the way to the bone. Like this is not something I could have saved myself a lot of time being like, stop complaining. It's the doctor's office. This is how the lights are. Like I probably should have brought sunglasses for him. You know, like I think that what I'm realizing in looking at these lists is like being dismissive of things that are very elemental to our kids doesn't go great, Amy, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yes, it sounds very familiar when you go back. Something that about the undersensitive kid that I have also definitely seen play out and can be challenging is that they don't notice they need to go to the bathroom mm. until like their eyeballs are yellow. They're hard to potty train because they, and again, it's like if you have to go to the bathroom, just go. Like they're jumping up and down and holding themselves and they don't know they have to go to the bathroom sometimes. Yes. That, it seems impossible that that could be true, but it is true for that kid. Yeah, it's kind of, I used to always think it was kind of like a one track mind thing that like I had one who was 100% got the whole potty thing. But if this kid was engaged in a puzzle or a toy that was interesting to them, they would just be like, I'm just going to go. Like, why make the trip? You know, <laughs> I was always sort of like, oh, that's, you know, insensitive of you or whatever. But it was definitely connected to this thing of a sensitivity, you know, a kid who doesn't know they're going to get sick, you know, in the car, grab the yeah. bag. It's like, why would you throw up on the floor of the car? Yeah, you're right. They have trouble getting that whole message through of like, this is sensation one of 20. My kid who has migraines, we really had to work on this idea of like, when you get an itch in your eye, that is the first of 20 symptoms of a migraine. And the 20th symptom is lying on the floor and projectile vomiting. And like when we get to that point, it's too late. You lose six hours of the day. Yeah. yeah. But if you can get to me when you feel that itch in your eye, then 
we can give you an Aleve, put you in a dark room, put a cold compress on your head, and an hour later, you'll feel fine. But this is another reason why it's great to identify this stuff because you say, I have to do a couple more steps and a little bit more work with kids who are not as tuned into their sensory needs than I might with another kid. And they don't know, right? The kid who was throwing a tantrum about the haunted house, she didn't have the vocabulary or the self-awareness to be like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm actually having a panic attack right now about this, right? She just was like, I won't, and she didn't know how to explain it. And, you know, similarly, the kid who's having a tantrum because they're hungry and they wouldn't eat lunch and they're like, there's, you know, fuel detector is so far into the red, but they don't know that that's why they're being impossible. They're just being impossible. Like they're not doing that to work your last nerve, but it can work your last nerve if you're not aware of like, oh, the last time he ate was like 10 a.m. and it's four and he didn't eat lunch. I think it goes back to what you were saying about like it gets easier with kids. Like I think they get better at recognizing those signs. They do. But in the meantime, I mean, I still have kids where I'm like, you need to have a protein bar at four o'clock every day because I'm noticing that at five o'clock every day, you are going absolutely nuts on all of us and I'm tired of it. But the solution is not to like give them consequences for their behavior because that behavior is way deeper than consequences. Mm. That behavior is hunger related. And so you have to solve. It's sort of like holding your hand over an open flame and taking aspirin to solve the pain in your hand. It's like, no, you need to turn the flame off underneath it. And I think that that is so key to making us happier as parents is figuring out like, okay, this is a kid... I know for myself, I'm definitely in the category of like oversensitive on most things. My husband calls me the super sniffer because I'm like, does anyone else smell fire? And like 40 minutes later, someone's like, oh, yeah, there was fire. Now I can smell it, you know. But that means we just went to the Bronx Zoo. And I was like, I don't go in any enclosed spaces in the Bronx Zoo. Like to me, it's like taking a bath in bat urine. Like I don't need this experience in my life. But my sister took the kids and she's like, oh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't smell that bad. I'm like, it smells so bad. I had a grown man explain to me a couple of years ago that he was a super taster. And I kind of like, but like, <laughs> he's like, yes. no, actually I am. And it's really hard sometimes. <laughs> How very dare you scoff. I'm a super taster. And I was like, okay, like, okay, I'll bite. Now I have all day. Like, what's that like being a super taster? And he just was sort of, it seemed to me, a elaborate rationalization of his extremely picky eating. But as we're talking about this, like, he's a super taster. And that's why he's a picky eater. No, I have a friend, one of my closest friends in town works at a lab where she's a food taster because she's like, she can tell the difference between four bottles of water and which one tastes, you know, different. She's got a super palate, basically, but that's a sensitivity issue. But once you're an adult, you can be in charge of it and you can own your stuff and you can fix it for yourself. And your kid is just going to act loco and you didn't know why, except now you're going to know why. Now you're going to know with your friends from the What for Health <laughs> podcast to walk you through it. All right, Amy, let's come back and talk more about like how to hack this highly sensitive kid that we've got. Okay. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing 
optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, 7 essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And now, who does your kid love more, mom or dad? From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Mom carried child for nine long months before enduring the lengthy pain of childbirth. Dad did not do any of those things. Daddy is the best. Mom carefully considers children's well-being and safety. Dad can throw the baby like 10 feet in the air. I love daddy. Mom spent 45 minutes last night carefully supervising homework and repeatedly explaining the concept of fractions. Dad spent four minutes last night singing Havana in a hilarious voice. It's totally daddy. Mom lovingly crafts healthy meals made of organic ingredients. Dad invented ice cream for breakfast. Oh, for God's sakes, this is totally unfair. Mom provides unconditional love. Dad provides unconditional love and makes fart noises on command. Daddy, 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 daddy. All right, let's talk about how we can parent these two types of kids now that we are like, oh, it all makes sense. What can you do to make life for this kid and for there for yourself a little bit easier? Right. Should we start with the highly sensitive ones? Sure. The turned up for what kids when they're feeling overwhelmed, which can be often. There's two things you can do. And I'm taking this overall thing from Carolyn Dogleish, who writes about uh, disorganized kids and sensory kids and how to get them organized. So this is her principle for that. Mm. She would be another good person to have on the podcast and not for my kids, for myself. Yeah, you're right. Put on the list. Her book is great. But her overarching principle, which I use in many areas of parenting, and I'll apply it to this one as well, is what can you add? What can you take away? 
Yeah, you say that a lot, and it's a great reference, and it's good for so many situations. It's good for, like, getting dressed. You're like, I look whack. Why? Okay, I take something away. What can I add? It's good for everything. Well, you know, when so when your kid is feeling overwhelmed, your kid is having a meltdown. Let's go back to the Halloween, you know, sidewalk meltdown. What could you take away in that situation? Obviously, you can, you know, remove the kid, right? You can remove them temporarily or forever. You can take away... (laughs) Well, not forever, just for the duration of Halloween. You can give them, you know, magical reassurance. I'm going to hold your hand and we're going to run past there really fast together. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to be like, you can't scare us. You know, you can make a game out of it. You can do things to help your kid move past that. Actually, that would be more of an ad, wouldn't it? That would be something you can add. You can make a game out of it. You can pregame. Like if I knew I had a kid who was hyper scared at like unpredictable times, this is actually an extremely predictable time. I would talk to them ahead of time about if you feel scared, we can do this. We can do that. You know, the haunted house, you know that that's just, you know, Tommy and Beckett and their friends. You know, you could pregame that and put parameters around it that help your kid understand. But I would say give your kid a sort of safe word, basically, a way to get out of that situation without throwing a tantrum that you would take seriously. I'll give you a very good example of this. I have a kid who was very sensitive and very worried about something that was going on in their classroom with another kid who, you know, was kind of loud. And Mm -hmm. he was perseverating on it. And like, it was becoming very anxiety inducing about like even going to school and what if this happens and da 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 and after you know being like just don't worry about it it probably won't happen forget you know all of the kind of dismissive responses for which I'm legendary let's admit I finally got him a pair of um, noise canceling they weren't even noise canceling headphones honestly they were just regular headphones but I was like if you put these on they'll block the sound and they didn't even really work but that was enough to make it okay Uh he had them in the desk it just was like giving your kids some illusion of control over the situation you know what I mean a talisman he didn't even necessarily have to use them to know that they were there and he could use them correct Interesting. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you can say like, and I think having the conversation, you've seen that haunted houses really upset your kid. And you go somewhere and you say, if there's a haunted house, I'm going to take you around the backside of the block, you know, and just, Mm -hmm. I think what we're coming to is that this really doesn't ever get fixed by yelling, get over it at your kid, which believe me, I'm... (laughs) A huge proponent of. Yeah. And it can be a little tweet tweet. Like I famously lost my mind so badly in the haunted mansion at Disney World. <laughs> Which is not that scary. <laughs> it's so funny. Was it when the ghost was in the car with you? What was it? What tipped you over? Every part of it. I mean, I was probably four and yet I remember it. The walls closing in. It's like one of those funny memories where I'm like, how much do I remember? And how much have I heard the story a million times? Because I scarred my whole family for life with my like complete exorcist level reaction to the haunted mansion but we all walked in totally silent and then the door kind of slams a little bit behind you yep yep and a voice comes on and says i am your host i am your ghost host and apparently i just was like hell to the no and i just started screaming i was banging on the door like clawing at the door with my fingernails and then the room starts rising. Spoiler alert. The room starts rising and the paintings are revealed. Like there's a girl on a swing and then you see that there's a crocodile underneath her. Yeah. I lost 
my mind. I was like, I cannot handle this. And I went absolutely insane. And my parents did learn that like haunted houses and me were not a great combination. Although we did go back to another haunted house when I was like way old enough to know better. I was like in maybe seventh grade. And I started screaming and carrying on so badly that again, my parents were trying to find the emergency exit and a vampire was like walking towards me with his scary arms out and I was screaming and the vampire leaned down and took his teeth out and it was our next door neighbor. And he was like, Meg, it's Mr. Callagy. It's okay. And I was freaking out. <laughs> They've gotten him. They've taken Mr. Callagy. <laughs> and I just, I can't handle haunted houses. But I think the thing to do is like, to just say, this is not something my kid can handle. And there's no role for going to haunted houses in this lifetime. I don't have to get grit by going to haunted houses. That's exactly right, right. The wrong answer would be like, we're going to make this work and I'm going to stick with it. That's right. Especially once you're aware that you have a kid who's turned up for this stuff. Then just don't even take them in that one in the, in the first place. I had a kid who, same kid, who at Disney World was weirdly underreactive to stuff. Like the parade is going by and it was like, you know, blank face. And I was sort of like, I brought you to the Magic Kingdom. Like why I'm getting nothing. Like, you're like, yo, kid, this was a pretty expensive ticket. Give me a smile. Yeah. And I had a very wise mom friend. We were there with our families. And she said, I think that's actually anxiety. I think that kid is like. Okay, gate's coming down right now. I'm feeling overstimulated. And she was so right, so wise. And again, it gave me a lens to look at it to stop being like, geez, what's the matter with this kid? And trying to what I probably would have done has been like, this isn't working. Like, this isn't enough. Let me see if I can get Tigger to like come over and, you know, and touch him. Yeah. <laughs> and bounce on him. That'll work. Yeah. And the kid's like, oh, no, Tigger, no. Yeah, man, it's a fine line because I feel like we take the other side of this a lot, which is like you can't indulge every single thing that your dopey kid wants, you know, but these are kind of in a different category and they fit in specific categories. These aren't random things like and we've talked a lot. I talked to the picky eater episode of my highly sensitive kid who does not like a wide range of foods. I'm like, I can't live with a kid who only eats three foods. So you're going to have to keep trying stuff. But I am sensitive to this because like. If I'm in a room with mustard, I'm having a bad time. Like, I'm so sensitive to smells and foods that, like, I don't want anyone telling me, try mustard a thousand times, you'll like it. It's the devil's condiment. I will never like it, you know? So, I do think there are realms in which you're like, that's right, you start tickling your kid and being like, have a great time, we're at the parade, and you're making it so much worse. It's the most important takeaway. It wasn't until I was pregnant I developed a super sudden aversion to ketchup that I'd never had before. You know how that happens. Like all of a sudden, horrible. Ketchup is horrible. I never had a problem with it. And then of course, then I had a picky eater who would, you know, accept the presence of green beans on the plate if there was ketchup on the plate. And it was like, you know, I really had to like try to keep myself from, you know, losing my lunch whenever I prepared this kid food because everything had, had to have ketchup on it for him to try it. And I really did understand it was a window into like, oh, when this kid is being super recalcitrant about I like penne, I don't like rigatoni. Like, this is what he's feeling. And I can think that it's crazy. And I can think that it's, you know, a pain, but it's to the child. This is real. Yeah. And I do think that we don't, you sometimes say about like, should you bring your homework? You're like, if my husband forgot it, would I bring it? Like, that's a good test for you of like, mm -hmm. would I do this to be nice to another adult? Like, it's also okay to apply that to our kids. Like, wait, do I have strong aversions to things, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, this happens all the time. It kills my brother-in-law that I don't like 
sliced tomato. I find it really gross, like on a sandwich. I never want tomato on my sandwich. And it just really bothers him because he loves like in the summer, we'll be at the lake and it's like fresh cut tomatoes. He's like, you're missing out on this experience. And I'm like, keep your monster tomato slices away from me. And I think a lot of times we do do that with our kids. Like you hate mayonnaise, which is the world's greatest food. I don't understand. Nope. No, it isn't. (laughs) But that's the thing. Like, I'm never going to sit you down and be like, Amy, mayo makes everything happy. What is wrong with you? I can't convince you. Right. All right. Let's talk about the sensory seeking kid, how we're going to help this kid. Okay. I have one hack for this, which is something I learned from one of my kids' pre-K teachers. She used to call going to the bathroom a must try. Mm. Like, you know how I love branding? Yes. It's in the name. She'd say like, okay, they call it JK at their school. Like, okay, JK, it's time for must tries. And the kids would line up to go to the bathroom. And it's called a must try. So my undersensitive kid who never thought they had to go to the bathroom had to go try because that's what it's called a must try. And so I brought home this idea of the must try. (laughs) That's a good one. I wish I'd known that earlier. A must try. Oh, we still call it. I mean, my kids are old now. I'm like, okay, like, you know, we're leaving for the airport in five minutes. Time for some must tries. <laughs> and like, and we must all- try. I love that. I'm always like, I don't care if you don't have to go. Yeah. You're going. Yeah. It's called a must try. Yeah. And I remember even having to put another thing, in, you know, in place because this kid would like, but I don't have to. Even sometimes then wouldn't be enough. And that's when you say like, okay, I'm going to set this alarm when the duck quacks on mom's phone. It's time to get out of the sandbox and go do a must try, right? Like you put Mm. structure in place around this kid that again, isn't you. Do you have to go? Do you have to go? Do you have to go? And it isn't your kid noticing if they have to go or if they're hungry because they kind of don't. They're not quite there yet. This is the other big thing that I will say about this. It gets better through your efforts, which is not true about all things. Mm -hmm. So my undersensitive kid who maybe wasn't sure he was getting a migraine or needed to throw up or needed to use the bathroom or needed to eat. We put a lot of structure around this stuff. Like in the car, every half an hour, I would say, are you feeling okay? Mm -hmm. Are you all right? You know, and you're having a snack. It's a must snack when you get home. (laughs) It's not whether or not you think you're hungry. This is the first, let me write out the 20 signs of a migraine and like, We're going to study them and talk about them. And then you're going to know that like the minute your eye starts to itch and then the next thing is it feels like a pain in your eye. And then that pain goes to the top of your head. And in constantly reinforcing this stuff verbally, he has been able to integrate that partly through age and partly I think through really working on it. And so you can work on this stuff and make it better. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think you made a good point that you can sort of narrate this. Your kid is not ready to notice step one of the migraine aura at five, but they will be at 10. And you can help them along the way by sort of putting the structure in place and then showing them the structure. That's right. Right. And they'll get there. And this helps them without sort of shaming them or spending a lot of time. It's not a mystery anymore, at least to you, why they're acting cuckoo at the beach. And so once you know this, you can put structure around it and you can also explain why that structure is there and eventually they get it. And I will say the last thing is sometimes you have to be okay with people looking at your kid a little weird. I was just about to say that, right? Like I have a kid who would go to the beach and would roll in the sand like a snickerdoodle in cinnamon sugar. How much of my body 
can I cover in sand? And there are definitely parents around me at the beach who wouldn't let their kid do that because then your car will get sandier or whatever. But if that makes that child happy and gets them back to center, I have made my peace with that. I'm part of making my peace with like my car's gonna be really sandy when we go to the beach because this kid loves to roll in the sand is being at peace with other people thinking that's a little weird. I had a kid who literally could not resist biting pool noodles. You know that it's like, have you seen those videos that are like so satisfying? And it's like someone cutting foam with a knife in like a rhythmic pattern. And it's like, no, there's a whole genre of TikTok and Instagram that are called satisfying videos. And it's like a bread slicer slicing through bread. Like there's something that I think it's ASMR. Like it's something very it's, anyway, my kids say it all the time. Whenever I'm like, if you wrap a package, it's like, and you get the edge just right. They're like, oh, that's so satisfying. It's a whole thing that the kids are into, satisfying. But I had a kid who like, for some reason, that biting the texture of the pool noodle. And for years, we had pool noodles with bites out of them all over. He was, I was like, don't swallow them. Don't eat them. <laughs> but then I also would look for stuff that's like, what's something you could chew that's not a pool noodle? Because like, it's not the greatest thing on earth to probably be biting out of pool noodles. And also, some of them are in ours and stuff. And every once in a while, I'll still find a pool noodle with a little nibble out of the top. And I'm like, I know who's been here. <laughs> yeah. But they make... If they're, you can Google sensory products for kids. They make necklaces that have a little chew bite on them. They make uh, sticks that have chew things on top. I bit my nails my entire life. I still bite my nails. My mom devoted so much of her personal energy to try to get me to stop biting my nails because it's disgusting and gross. And when I see other people do it, I'm like, what an animal. And then I bite my nails. I bite my nails. Always have. It's not some of this stuff, I just think you have to identify, like, is it fixable or is it something that is going real deep with people? And you can maybe figure out a substitute. Yes. But you're not going to make it stop happening. Yeah, I hope this was helpful today because all of this stuff has helped me understand my kids and myself, P.S. I'm a highly sensitive person myself. And just give yourself more grace, give your kids more grace and figure out what's really going on when they're throwing a tantrum for, you know, a seemingly non-apparent reason it can become very apparent it's also don't give them more grace because like oh you need to be nicer give them more grace because some of this stuff is goes real real deep and it's not fixable so like don't waste your time with it figure out like what the cause is underneath and you'll have better results give them that little piece of a pool noodle to chew on in the back of the car <laughs> a little pool noodle snack <laughs> you get your own pool noodle get through the day love it all right friends listen do you like the What Fresh Hell podcast? I think you do. So here's what I would like you to do. Sure you do. Please go rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you hate the What Fresh Hell podcast? Skip this advice. Please don't go give us a review that says how horrible it is. <laughs> it would be a weird flex to have listened this far in and then... And then, <laughs> and then be like, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind about how awful they are. Well, I get a lot of feedback. I say like too much. I have, you know my New York accent people don't like I talk too much I don't know if you've got something I'm not open to constructive criticism at this time I'm just saying if you like the show go give us a good review so that more people can enjoy the show that would be great and we'll talk to you guys next week thanks friends no one told us the truth about parenthood why 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.